welcome to the Own Your Epic podcast. My name is Jay Dostal, author of the book Own Your Epic, Leadership Lessons in Owning Your Voice and Your Story. In this podcast, I highlight the stories and voices of educators across the country who are making a difference in schools and uncover what makes them exceptional leaders in their field. By sharing the voices and stories of others, we can all learn to appreciate that each of us is the author of our own epic and our experiences are relatable to others, if we are willing to share them. Let's get started on the Own Your Epic process. Welcome to the Own Your Epic podcast. My name is Jay Dostal and I am so excited to have uh, this guest today. Um, I'm actually doing a two-part series. Uh, it's kind of like an origin story. Part one will be my mother and part two will be my father, uh, both retired educators. And uh, I'm so just grateful that uh, I have a few moments to sit down and uh, have a conversation with them so that maybe you can all find uh, relevance in the stories of some folks who have been through the grind of education. And so, Mom, welcome. Glad to have you. I'm glad to be here. Perfect. So, uh, I forgot to introduce it. This is Rhonda Dostal. Uh, she's going to tell you a little bit more about herself. But, Rhonda uh, Welch sorry, Dostal. Rhonda Welch Dostal, sorry. Um, but, Mom, uh, part of this, uh, this podcast is to help uh, amplify the voices and stories of people in the profession of education so that others can see relevance in them and maybe help them get over the top. And I think a lot of people uh, have some uh, ideas about what goes on in schools and what teachers go through, but uh, until they actually hear from the mouths of teachers, they may not really understand it. So mm -hmm. I'm so glad that you get to join us today. Well, I'm very glad to be here. Awesome. You know, I think all educators need pick-me-ups. Uh, when they're down and dirty and in the trenches and need to get out of it and start focusing on it's all about the kids. We have to be their advocates. It's tough growing up in this world. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So uh, let's start off with a fairly uh, easy question of softball, but uh, why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do, what you did and what you do. Um, to use adjectives, I'm a, uh, a mother, uh, I'm an educator, uh, housewife, those are all mundane descriptions, uh, but I think more than anything, I'm a child advocate. Um, what did you teach? Children. <laughs> <laughs> what what subject did you teach and what, what levels did you teach? I know you taught children, okay. but... I have five different endorsements because I couldn't figure out what I really wanted to do. And I'm much, I started out as an elementary teacher teaching kindergarten, but I also had a degree in counseling um, and I have a K-12 endorsement because I couldn't figure out which level of kid I like. I just like them all. <laughs> Uh, so I just wanted to be available in many different attributes. Um, I love curriculum, and so I figured out a way to use uh, curriculum as play therapy with kids who kind of fall between the cracks. My specialty is with kids that the teachers don't want in the classroom, and um, I invite the teachers to go ahead and have them in my classroom and we'll work together to get them back into the groove and learn all of the 
social skills that they need to survive in a classroom without having to be um, angry. Uh, learning how to live in a classroom for, with a kid who's kind of messed up and has had some problems with learning, um, they have issues. And is it the teacher? Is it the student? There's no finger pointing. There needs to be a, an attempt to communicate. That includes the parents, the child. And I'm going to say th something right up. Remember when you were young and um, you came home and you were crying and you told me your side of the story and I said, you know what, do you want me involved? And you usually said no because you knew that I had to get all of the information. And that's essentially what yeah, I Yeah, I just wanted to vent. I didn't want to. Right, you just wanted to vent. But I also knew that it was something that it was that cry. It was like a, a, a cry for help inside that you were expressing. So I knew it was more of like a sob, a deep sob. Um, and so I just let you cry. And then I said, you know, I can help you, but you have to give me all of the information. Um, if you would give me only your side of it to try to get me to see things only your way, it's kind of an adulterated truth, which is a lie. Yeah. It's only a partial information, and I always would say to kids when they come to me, okay, let's get the people together, let's communicate. Let's get the other side of the story. Or can you tell me what you think that they're going to say first and let's just talk it out and then you can make a decision whether we need to get together. And usually that resolves it because, ah, they start seeing it from the other person's perspective and, oh, maybe this is what we could do to solve it so that I don't have to get involved, but I would really like to help you to figure out a way that we can get through this. Sounds a lot like restorative practices before restorative practices became in vogue, which is kind of a theme that I hear with a lot of educators about how everything is cyclical. So that's yeah. that's really cool. Um, I want to touch on something because I know this about you, and I don't want to get too personal, but um, you know, you talk about your degree in counseling and your work with uh, special education students, and just being able to uh, to understand that. Can you or would you feel comfortable sharing a little bit about uh, how you grew up and why maybe uh, your experiences growing up mm -hmm. influenced you to be able to work so well with uh, kids who maybe learn differently or uh, your own children who may exhibit some <laughs> behaviors growing up and that sort of thing? My strong-willed children. <laughs> your strong-willed children. So can you talk a little bit about how your upbringing uh, maybe led to this pathway to education? Yes, yes. Um, I grew up in a family where my mother had um, a heart problem. Uh, she had a faulty valve due to um, uh, scarlet fever and ro uh, romantic fever. And um, she was not healthy. And my dad was a college professor. Um, and by the way, you come three generations of instructors, you know, so it was kind of like, <laughs> it was in your blood. It was in my blood, yeah. Yeah, but I kept telling you, don't go into this unless <laughs> you like kids, because if you don't, you know, you're going to be miserable. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so, but anyway, um, having grown up in that environment and having lost my mom when I was in fifth grade, which is the de developmental stage, uh, and my brother a, young, a year younger than me, and then 
one that's three years older than me. We kind of found Only girl. Yeah, I'm the only girl. Yeah. Right. And a very strong-willed girl. Uh, <laughs> I don't know where I got that strong-willed nature. No. <laughs> this is why this origin story is so important. There's many there's times <laughs> of, there's many ways of communicating, and there's no wrong way. Right, right. But back to the story. Sorry. Yes. Okay, so here, here I am, and I had uh, emotional liability. That's the word in learning disabilities they, call, they came out, and they said it's the emotional liability, but I wasn't able to put a word on it. I knew that I had problems reading. If they had left me alone to read the Nancy Drew books and the stories that I loved to read, the things that I was interested in, I would have been fine because I would have struggled through. I am a, um, my, my style of learning, by the way, I have a degree in the four different ways of communication teaching styles. My teaching language, my communication uh, with students. So I can speak their language even though I may not be comfortable in teaching it that way, I can do it because it's all about them. It's not my lesson plans. I'm not teaching curriculum. I'm teaching kids. So I actually learn more from them when I find out they're having problems. And that's what my dad did to me when I was growing up. And that's when we, going back to the origins. Um, I was having difficulty and so he had, he taught um, investing. And he had this one teacher at my school who was a reading teacher. And um, he asked her if she would tutor me. And she says, no stretch, and that was his name. Because they were, you know, she was an older woman that was taking classes of investing. And um, no stretch, uh, she asked to be in the class. And, and my dad said, no, you don't want her in the class. She's a very difficult student. <laughs> I know because I've been trying to do this by myself, but it's not working. So I need to have somebody else. I need to get the emotions out of it. Uh, he was very invested in wanting me to learn how to read. And yet without the wherewithal, you know, and how to teach younger kids who had lost their mother and emotional, able, you know, it's like... A lot of trauma. A lot of, yeah, a lot of trauma, uh, too many emotions and uh, trying to keep them out of it. Uh, and he himself was grieving. So it was very difficult for him, but he, he was never afraid to reach out. He was always asking other people for their expertise. And then he would glean from them what he thought would work. So observing all of that and the seeing love, him go through the that. The underlying love of we kids. The love of learning and knowing that this is what you have to have to survive. Reading is extremely important. So watching that up close and personal, is that what kind of drove you into the field of education? Well, I really didn't want to go into education because I only had two teachers that knew how to teach me, and frankly, I thought that they were a waste of time. <laughs> and this is funny because when I would say that to my special education kids, I would introduce myself and I said, I have a lot in common with you. I am an LD adult. I hate that label because I don't think I'm disabled. I think those teachers just didn't know how to speak my language, and that's their problem because they're hired to communicate with me, and yet I have to learn their language does not make sense to me. So uh, I became very belligerent toward, um, I didn't like being thumped in the head with a um, the finger because I was using my finger to try to keep my place. I, by the way, was learning disabled and spatially orientation, 
And so I learned a way where I could use one hand to keep there and then use the finger so that I could move to keep my place. And I learned how, without knowing any geometry, I would look up on the board, I would know that uh, it's on this side, it's on the right side of the chalkboard, so I wouldn't lose my place when I went back down to go ahead and do the work on, the, on my desk. And so I was very well, very spatially, uh, I had problems. You know, I didn't know right and left. I had to put my left hand up and I had to uh, make the forefinger go straight up and the thumb out the other way. That's left. That's what left is. And so I, I went ahead and I learned how to survive on my own using things that were acceptable to the teacher so that I didn't get pointed out or made fun of. Um, I think the teachers, and looking back on it, were just very frustrated with, uh, trying to teach me because they just didn't know how to reach me. And, and then you couple that with the emotional liability, you know, of having lost a mother and grieving. Uh, in that day and age, of course, I'm quite a bit older, you know, in that day and age, they didn't have the things called learning disabilities. But I ended up going into learning disabilities because I thought, wow, this is something that really would be great to have as a teacher to help those kids who are suffering from, and I, I don't call it abuse, it's just lack of knowledge and it's more finger pointing, it's not abuse. It's their fault and nobody's owning the responsibility for what you need to be doing. The lack of communication is really what it is. Um, so I wanna, I wanna follow up with you on that because that kinda leads into the next question. You, you, talk, you mentioned own two times there. And yeah, yeah. the whole point of Own Your Epic is to yeah. own your voice and your story. Yeah. And so, where are you? Yes. Where are you in this education? Right. Model? And I have, you know, uh, uh, as I've been writing and as I've been speaking about this, uh, just being able to tell people that, listen, you can have other people tell your story, but it's never going to be as good as if you told it yourself because you have to own it. And so... The, the question that I want to ask you is, and this is going to be the focus of pretty much this entire blog, is... But, I, but okay. Oh, go ahead. No. Go ahead. I, I really think the interrupting, okay, right now, is that I will lose that thought. Okay. And this is specifically pertains to knowing your origin and knowing your place in education and what you can give the kids... What are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? And, and own them mm -hmm. so that they don't interfere. And I have a real hard time with, I don't like being interrupted, but by the same token, there are times where interruption is extremely important because it emphasizes something that's extremely important. And if you lose the thought, it doesn't come back into the conversation again in the context that it was entirely entitled to be. It requires thinking it through and saying this is the op this this is the teachable moment. And it's it's interesting you bring that up because I remember uh, you know one of the lessons that you have taught me um, and I think that's part of the reason why I maybe spend a little time uh, interrupting people when I'm engaging uh, in conversation because active listening you know is is yes. one of those things where you're, you're yes. truly intentional about hearing and not focusing on what you want to say next. 
And I think my action of interrupting is just like you said, that I don't want to lose that focus. that focus because I'm so intensely focused on what you're saying right now that I have to get some clarification. And if we go on for another five minutes, I'm going to lose it. And, and then it's going to feel like right. I haven't been paying attention to you. So, I mean, that, that whole give and take yeah. is so important. And then it becomes fragmented. Yes. Because it's, yes. Not, it's not woven into the conversation at that teachable moment where it's heard yeah. loud and clear. Uh, there's nothing more, um, I'm lacking the word, uh, when you were sobbing. Letting you sob and being quiet and not saying anything. And when you're ready, tell me. Tell me what's going on. I always hated that mom. I know you did. I hated it. Uh, but nobody wants to. Like, I, don't, I don't recall that specific moment, but I recall multiple times growing up when I came to you and dad with an issue. And it was never one of those situations where you took my side. You just let me, you, know, you, you would always challenge me to say, okay, look at it from another perspective. Look at it from this person's perspective. And I frustrated the heck out of me you because, wanted a pity party. because I wanted yeah. I wanted somebody to support me and then as I grew up and I reflected on it and I got into education but, that was one of those yeah. things where I was just like okay my parents did me the greatest service by not enabling me to just go on a tantrum but rather to take perspective right. in refocusing, what yes. refocusing the anger and the hurt and taking the emotions out of it is the first step toward it's kind of like a behavior modification behavior modification doesn't work unless the person is at the point where they're ready to accept the responsibility for what is going to be happening and will change the whole thing so that it is going to help them rather than hurt them. Um, staying on a pity party and feeling sorry for yourself and wanting to be held for that reason is different than let's talk about it and I'll hold you while we're talking about it. Because I just remember, you, I, I said, just lay your head down and got you to relax, which was very hard because you were always on the go. But I always knew when you really, really were... I don't know where I got that from, you or Dad, but... Yeah. Well, emotions, the theatrics come natural. But, you know, by the way, you're very gifted in that area, too. So, But it does have a lot of fun because um, in the classroom, kids love to laugh. And they love to laugh at things and find out that some of their behaviors are very laughable. And we're going to learn to laugh at some of those behaviors as I point them out to you. <laughs> But, you know, laughing at being able to laugh at what you've done. I said, why in the heck did I ever do that? And I, do, I did that in front of the classroom. I would model. I said, I have to apologize to you. And I know that you've set me up on this high. You know, I never know. You know, you never really set me up on this high pedestal. But you, you've seen me in action and you know that I like you and that's why I'm able to get away with some of my imperfections and you know you look beyond people's per per imperfections and you don't want to pick fights because you're you're in it together you're working together and when things get in the way you just kind of um, we can talk about that later right now you know and and it's not like you're 
shutting them off. It's just like we've got this trying to, to maintain a focus on what's really relevant as opposed to trying to change the subject, which is a way of avoiding something. And when you do that, whenever you kids did that, avoid that, no, 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 I'll talk to you later. You need to go talk. You need, you, I don't have time for this, you know? And I've actually said to some friends, you know, I've heard you say the same thing over and over again over the last two or three weeks, and I've been very patient with you, but you know, I've gotta be honest with you, and I know the truth hurts, and you may not wanna hear this, but you know, until you're ready to do something about this, I don't wanna hear about it anymore. Yeah. And it's, it sounds cruel, but it's not. It's the best favor that you can do for anybody is to care enough about them to know I've been through this with you and now it's time to shit or get off the pot. You know what? I, lo I, I love the fact that you said that because I think one of the misconceptions about uh, educators in general is that we are, and, and it's true, we have our professional lives, but we also have our personal lives. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah. I think uh, sometimes when you hear uh, profanity or whatever, and it's coming from someone that you don't necessarily think. It's uh, not a mother thing, you know. <laughs> I, I grew up, I didn't have a mother, so I didn't have anybody to model. And so, uh, as my sorority sisters went ahead and said, we, we just have to do a number to help you because you need to learn some of these other niceties things and stuff. But uh, I, I, well, really I, I have to thank you both because growing up in a household with you and dad, I am very fluent in profanity, uh, but I also learn. I didn't swear <laughs> but, I, but I also learn that there is a time and a place for that, right. professional versus personal. And so right. uh, when we're engaging like this, it's like, oh my gosh, yes. And it can be funny at sometimes. <laughs> I, I, I remember bringing this up. I said, Dave, let's on a light note as we, as we raised our kids. And I know that this is totally uh, random and it dro drove your kids nuts. But it was really, it's kind of like flicking cold water in a kid's face or uh, doing something totally random that is way off track and it confuses you and it stops the unnecessary behavior. It works. Well, yeah, you draw, and, draw the attention away from right. the, yeah. And then, and the kids would, uh, the kids in the class would, what, where did that come from? And I said, okay, now that I've got all of your, your attention, and they look at you like, what? <laughs> <laughs> Which reminds me when I was in the Miss Nebraska pageant, uh, uh, it was something that happened in the skit, and um, the pants, I was Emmett Kelly, and and I had this uh, rope holding up my pants, and I wasn't expecting the rope to come undone, and the pants fell down. And I was sitting there, and I was thinking, oh, and my, my eyes, you know, and very theatrically, my eyes were like this, and of course the spotlight came on me, the spotlight <laughs> that just kept racing all over and I kept trying to swat at it. It was hilarious. The whole the whole audience was laughing the whole time. I reached down, I figured this is it, I'm done. And I went down, I picked him up, okay? And then I turned around and they dropped again, the one side did, and I reached up the broom that was swatting at the spotlight and my butt was facing them. And I turned around and the spotlight hits me again and my eyes are turned around and I say, I'm done. And the curtain closes. And that was, they, they were just like, what's going on? But they were laughing and I'm saying, oh, this is great. 
Oh my <laughs> Gotta get out of this. But the whole thing was is that laughter at inappropriate behaviors just like flicking, flicking cold water in someone's you're not supposed to be laughing, you're supposed to be angry. They're really trying to get you angry so that they can take control. It's called a power struggle. Or sometimes it's not a power struggle, sometimes it's a, a little bit further. It's a passive aggressive approach. And when you don't do what they expect, they can't manipulate you or you switch the spotlight to, you know, this which, which bothered me so I much know, growing I know, but up. It worked. <laughs> I, I know it worked because you, you're you're speaking my mind, and I think it's relevant to educators too. Is uh, sometimes the behaviors that these kids exhibit? Well, a lot of times the behaviors that the kids exhibit have nothing to do with you. It's something else that they're dealing with. However, they are trying to take control of the situation by displaying these types of behaviors. Or avoid. Or avoid. And our reaction as educators mean everything. So mm -hmm. I, I want to ask you a question. This is like the, the crux of all this, um, mm -hmm. of this podcast. But uh, two very important steps in the Own Your Epic process, which I outline in my book, mm -hmm. are that you have to curate and cultivate your stories mm -hmm. so that uh, you can amplify your voice. As a retired educator, years and years of experience. If you had to choose probably the most important story that has impacted you or shaped you into the educator, into the mother, into just the person that you are, mm -hmm. what was it? And what's the, what are the details of that story? Well, I'm gonna go back to my dad uh, and how he impacted his students' life. Here we are. And I, that get me back to that again, and how he, in his way of teaching, um, he used personal stories. I met people all over who said, oh, you're Stretch's daughter, and they would bring up something that my dad had said about me in class as a, as a learning example, like when I was charging something. And there, there's a good place and a bad place for charging. And when you don't have a mother, you need to have, you have to, you have to use that to your advantage. There's good and bad about anything. And you can turn, turn it into something that is good if it meets your particular needs. And so his way of storytelling and how it relates to everyday life, making curriculum come alive. And why do you need a budget? You know, where is that budget coming in, you know? And trying to bring the personal elements of the person into it so that they understand that they have a need for it. People who don't have a need, it's just uh, regurgitation, you know, I can pass a test, you know. It makes your thinking slow, you're not even relating it to the real world. And he, he brought us up with, this is important for you to know. I want you to sit and I want you to focus and however long it takes. Keeping that focus on your everyday life and how it's going to help you. And I, in the classroom, would say, and this is the first, I used it right away. I said, okay, um, you see the textbooks here? We're going to get started today. What? 
you know, they were, what? And I said, yes. Well, both aren't our classroom. I said, no, they're not. You can use the regular, you can use what the other kids use. No, we can't. And I said, that's your problem. You're going to be using these because I know how to communicate it to you so that you will learn it. And uh, so you're going to have to trust me. And I kept saying, trust me, trust me, trust me. I said, there's some of you in here who don't know how to read. There's some of you who don't know how to write. You still like Dick and Jane sentences. You have all these things that you don't know how to do, and you think that you're done. You're not done. They just didn't know how to teach you. I do. we got to get started. So let's quit wasting our time. And I said, open it up. And I said, you, you can pick that thesaurus, or you can pick up the dictionary. And I'm watching, you know, I'm watching to see which one picked up the thesaurus, because I'm saying, yay, I don't have to work as hard on them. Because if you don't know a word and you want to find out what the meaning is, all you have to do is use a thesaurus. And, oh, wow, your vocabulary just explodes. Love that. And I would divide the kids up into four different groups of four different learning, lang learning groups. And I loved There was always two that were in mine. And, boy, I would save them for last because we really had so much fun. I am a Columbus style. I jump in and swim back to uh, shore. And the teachers think I'm drowning and they're scared to death. But knowing how a person communicates and um, using their words and where their main uh, personality temperament is, like, um, please understand me, it's, um, oh, I can't even remember the, the authors, but it's um, the Myers-Briggs, it's based on the Myers-Briggs and knowing your temperament. And knowing oh, I know the Myers report. Briggs. You yeah. you made oh. me take the Myers Briggs as a young kid, so I knew all about <laughs> that stuff. Well, I know where your comfort zones are, and sometimes pushing you into your discomfort zones were very learning experience for you. And, but knowing how to do that without having you feel threatened, you may feel uncomfortable there, but that's where you learn. So anyway, well, just just so you know, because I know you read my blog. Yeah. Um, I relate a lot of my experiences back to you and Dad. Because, uh, and I, I'm not shy about telling people that I grew up in a household with two teachers, and that was a blessing and a curse for me. Uh, <laughs> the curse was uh, I never got to throw a pity party for myself. I always had to, uh, I felt like I was going to school at home because my parents were teachers, and they were, they were parenting like teachers. Uh, the blessing of it came back years later once I got into the profession and I had my own kids to say, you know, there's really not much difference between parenting and teaching in that you're you're constantly trying to help grow and as help I, kids learn. And as I held you as a baby in my arms, and you were very strong-willed from the minute you came out of my womb, you were very, um, things had to be your way. You were very strong-willed from the beginning. And um, I remember holding you while you were sleeping and say, I wonder where this young man, where are you gonna take him? Please give me the strength and the patience to be able to put up with this. <laughs> and then, Do you remember what I told you when, when I first had kids and my kids were growing up? Yes. I, I, I told you, I'm being paid back for yeah. everything that I did to my parents. But remember <laughs> when you called me and you said, Mom, is this what it means? <laughs> what goes around comes around? And I started laughing at you because I heard Mason in the background. And I'm going, and I never explained it to you guys, but you know, I, I hear Lynn saying that to the boys, what goes around comes around. Because if you don't get it right, it's going to keep coming back. 
going to keep coming back. God gave each one of us and every student gifts. And I don't care the giftedness. I mean, you can go ahead and have Down syndrome, Down syndrome and you can be gifted. It's your job to go ahead and use their language and get them to know their gifts so that they can re-gift their gifts. I have not met one kid who hasn't had problems with their learning that has not taught me more by getting down and dirty with them trying to struggle to figure out how are you going to learn this? What are we going to do? Which gets back to the one thing when I was working with the kids. I said, I've given you a book. You've chosen the book that you want to read as a group. You've chosen it ahead of time. And that was, anyway. All those details are superfluous. Um, they have to go ahead and see that there is a way out of this bad feeling that I can't learn. When kids come to you and you're in special education and they think there's something wrong with them, you have to show them what they have and build on what they need. You know, it's kind of layering it. You know, just uh, step by step by step. Don't give up. You're not dumb. If there's something that you really want to learn, you can do it. There may be another way to approach it. You have to reach out to the people who you trust and who know have your best interest at heart. And if you want somebody to come in to stick up for you, I will. You know, if you want the teacher to back off. There's a way to say things to people so that they understand this does not work. So that's a that's a really good transition into my last question. Is now that you understand a little bit more about what I'm trying to accomplish with Own Your Epic and Amplifying uh -huh. Voices. By and the stories. way, I'm so proud of some oh. of the things that you've done. Well, thank you've you. taken some of the ideas and I just remember where did that come from? And I remember sitting there hours working on one child's IEP. How am I going to reach this child? Or how, you know. But you've taken some of those, you watched me. And many times I'd look up and there you were. And you were watching me. Well, studying and seeing how other people are reacting to something that they're so intent and love so much. Because I loved teaching. My lesson plans were never the same because they were all they were all focused on the specific needs of a group or a child you know and how cooperative learning was was one of the things that I worked on cooperative and many times you will find I'd say okay let's have a group meeting and you hated that and they, your dad hated it the worst okay so how are we going to solve this is something that's happening to all of us it's affecting all of us so how are we going to help him to go ahead and understand how he can handle this better? So involving other way, people. I, I apologize. Our uh, bulldog Winston is running around and he's getting a little amplified this morning while we're talking. So he's feeling a little ignored. Yeah, he does. He <laughs> loves and he wants his ears. He does. He wants yeah. his ears rubbed. Yeah, yeah. So what is, uh, and I know I said that, that was the last question, but I do have, this is, this is the question that I kind of the, the end uh -huh. to this conversation. Based on your years of experience 
and uh, you've talked about this uh, a few times during this blog or during this podcast is um, what advice do you have for teachers who quite honestly are struggling with the profession I mean many are going through the pandemic they're dealing with their own uh, their own personal issues but then they're trying to go to work and they're trying to uh, teach kids who are bringing a lot of trauma and emotional uh, issues to the classroom and some of them are second-guessing whether or not they chose the right career and we're, we're starting to see this exodus of teachers from the profession um, you're seeing starting to see leaders who are leaving lost, yeah. that are leaving the profession and uh, it's kind of this barren wasteland now they're feeling helpless <coughs> so and hopeless so what yeah. advice as someone who went over 30 years in the in the teaching profession and working with some of the most at-risk kids both at the elementary oh, and high school yeah. level what advice do you have for teachers to uh, that stick to itness and and get through it Well, first of all, you have to know where you are. Uh, love thy neighbor as thyself. You cannot help anybody else unless you yourself know where your gift is. And if you're having problems, you're, the best way to find out what your gift is is to talk to the students, ones that you've become close, closer to, and just say, hey, we need to have a talk because I need, I need your help. And that opens up doors because things will. And kids who are probably the most brusque are the ones that you need to approach because they're not afraid. They're not so tied up in the social. That's why I love special education kids because I taught them a lot of different skills. And if you want to speak to this person, this is the way you need to talk. <laughs> you want to speak here, you need, you need to know their listening styles. You know. So, but so that you don't give up, you have to first of all know you and focus on what you can do. And if you don't love kids, get out of teaching. Don't, don't. There's no work. shame in that, by no, the way. No, no, there isn't. And uh, I, I had a desk, as a, it's kind of like a closet, but it was very, um, you walk in the door and there I am, you know. And uh, I had a coworker that had a desk, they just put special education teachers wherever they could find it. <laughs> special place for them, you know. Uh, we were not top on the list, but we knew it. But the thing is, is that I knew that they needed me. So I didn't worry about that. And see, that's where my strength was, is that I know that what I'm saying is going to help you to teach better, to reach kids. And uh, back off. Don't, you know, I, I tell them, this is where their weakness is, and you need to know that. And I will actually bring them with me and just say, hey, they've asked me to come here. You need to know this. Now, if you'd like to have me have be the timeout place where you can go whenever there's the two of you are having issues with communicating, that's fine. Communication problems can be a source of a lot of problems. And that's the other thing. Know your communication style. Know your limits and know when you've reached that threshold so you back off because then there's no communication. Um, so know you, know your communication style, and know when your emotions get in the way that you're, you know, anger, anything. You're, you're, not, you're not effective. 
But then the next, uh, and I'm gonna start crying, the next most important thing is to show an embracing feeling, uh, an inclusive feeling for those kids who are, who are hurting, who don't have any faith in their ability and show them you're going to be teaching me along the way. Just have faith in me. We're going to get to know each other real well. We're going to be very, very good friends. I'm going to end up being your mentor. Somebody that you can come to, somebody that you trust. Every child in the school, and I'm so proud of you because you did that in one of the schools, has got to connect with one person in an interview at the very beginning of the year or like a, a sheet of paper that asks questions. If you if you were on an island all by yourself, shipwrecked, who, which teacher in the, which teacher in the school would you like to be with, you know, um, and find out, and then develop that relationship with that teacher, and then even say it. I've even told it to the kids, you know, when you first came in, I, I just thought, oh boy, I, I said, I, I actually said, I've heard so much about you now. Let's hear your side of the story. And uh, they look at me kind of funny, and I'm saying, you know what? I can make my own opinion and stuff. You and I are going to learn to respect each other, and we're going to respond, and we can even argue. But the most important thing is we've got to communicate. And I, in a round, there's no really one answer. Know yourself, respect a child, and know that your job is to mentor them and to turn them into lifelong learners of all the experiences that are going to be coming their way and how can they handle it in such a way that it doesn't destroy them and that they can come back into your loving arms and say, hey, Mrs. Dostal, I did it. I did it. I have some kids that did not know how to read, they didn't know how to write, and they didn't know how to spell. And in one turn, we did block scheduling. In one block scheduling, they were able to know that they could do it. They had the skills. I'm sending kids out with the skills to be able to do the job that they need to do to become lifelong learners. It's we're, we're getting here towards the end of time, but uh, Mom, I have to tell you that uh, as you were talking there, um, I love you too. I love you too, Mom. <laughs> this, is, this has been so awesome. I know we get to do this on a regular basis, but I'm really excited well, to let... I argue with you a lot. I know you do, and that's good. But, <laughs> Arguing is not bad. <laughs> no, but I'm just glad that I'm uh, going to be able to share this with the world so that they can see what I grew up with. And, you know, you talk about, uh, you, you mentioned in that last uh, piece there about kids remember their teachers. Mm -hmm. um, and they don't care about how much you know until they know how much you care. Mm -hmm. And I could provide you a list of all the teachers that were very influential on in my I life. I had two. <laughs> but, but I can easily say, and this is why I'm having you and dad on the podcast as part of kind of the origin story, is you're one of those teachers for me. And <laughs> while I never had you in the classroom, you taught me about life. And I think that, uh, I think the, uh, I think the, the message that uh, I want people listening to this podcast understand, and I think you, uh, 
you definitely provided examples of it, but I am the son of my mother and, and you your father. and my father yeah. and you've shaped me into the person I am today. And, and that's so, why God entrusted you to me. And as uh, the people who are listening to this, if you are a parent, your child was, you were blessed with a child and you have all the skills and everything that God felt that child needed. They are a gift to you and you need to go ahead and develop those gifts in them by using, re-gifting what you have. There's a reason. I can't, uh, can't say what a perfect way to end this podcast. So um, thank you. Thank you again, Mom, for, for joining us today on the Owner Podcast. thank you, guys, <laughs> for putting this young man in my life. Well, you're going to make me blush. But well, I, you were not perfect. But <laughs> <laughs> far not, from none, none of us are. Far from but that's far from that's it. the stuff that we can laugh about. I look back at you, and I have to live. This is funny. You loved your food. You loved your food just like your dad did. And in church, it was obvious that that was the time that you chose to go ahead and say, hey, people, look at me. (laughs) Yeah. And I know that that means something to you, and it doesn't necessarily mean anything to them and stuff. But everybody has gas. There's no no better way to end a podcast than a mother son gas farting story. So, <laughs> mom, thank you very much. I appreciate you taking some time to to visit with me about this. I'm excited yeah. to share this with the world. Uh, listeners, thank you so much for joining us today on the Own Your Epic podcast. I hope you will return to hear part two of the origin story with my dad, Dave Dostal, and uh, we will see you all in the next podcast. Take care. Bye. (laughs) Thank you for joining me on today's podcast. To find out more about Own Your Epic, check out my website at ownyourepic.blogspot.com where you can purchase my book or subscribe to all the latest blog and podcast updates. Until next time, own your epic and share your voice and your story. It matters and can make a difference in the lives of others.